Greetings, St. Clair Community Church. My name is Andy Grun, and I'm going to be bringing to you a reflection on Psalm 32. This is the first of a series of on the Psalms that will be um, a series that will be coming to us uh, throughout the summer from different speakers. Um, so this is Psalm 32. This is verses 1 to 5. And this is a meditation on confession and forgiveness and the joy that comes from bringing ourselves to God in an honest and sincere way. So Psalm 32, 1 to 5. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. And I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. I've titled this message, The Joy of Confession. The Joy of Confession. For joy is a word that doesn't often go with confession. And if I were to ask you, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of the word confession? I would imagine that for most of us, the word, the first word is not joy. Maybe when we think of confession, an image comes to us like um, something from a film or a movie of, of a Catholic confessional. And maybe that's a positive image, um, or maybe it's a dark image. Or maybe when you think confession, maybe it brings up a memory of being a, of a childhood memory where you're brought before a parent and you're being scolded or told to fess up to something you did. Or maybe it brings up an, a legal image of a confessional in a courtroom. Or maybe it's a blank. Maybe you come from a church tradition in which confession's not really practiced or talked about. But whatever the case, um, I would invite us to consider and think of confession in terms of life, in terms of restoration of life, in terms of freedom, in terms of peace, in terms of joy. For in biblical language, in biblical practice, confession is the pathway, the doorway that leads us into a re restoration of life and relationship with God and others. Listen to verses 1 and 2 again. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Joy. Joy is the mood. Joy is the starting place in this psalm. But then in verse 3, there's a turn. So it starts with this enunciation of joy. But then the psalmist looks back and remembers of what, what came before that, for the experience was not joy. So this is looking back. In Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 work very well together. For Psalm 51 is this experience in which David um, experienced this visceral, guttural conviction. 
It's the story when Nathan the prophet came to David and he brought before him what David had done. And if you know the story, David had committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. And then he had murdered her husband. And then so Nathan the prophet comes to David and tells him of this, and he's filled with remorse, filled with conviction. And Psalm 51 is this gut-wrenching cry before the Lord. And it's, 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 it's very present to the feelings and emotion of that conviction. But Psalm 32 is looking back. In Psalm 32, it says, When I refused to confess, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me, and my strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Maybe we can relate to the image of heat given some of the, the days, the heat, hot days we've been experiencing here in Ontario. But there's a cost. There is a cost to David's silence. You know, if, if in, in going, again, going back, going to Psalm 51, just pay attention to some of these words and phrases that come up. David says, let me hear joy and sadness, gladness, because he is not feeling joy and gladness. He says, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. There's a fear of abandonment. And he says, restore to me the joy of salvation. And maybe this is the worst consequence. There is a fear. There's a loss. There's a fear of, of losing that relationship with God, that in the end, it's not going to work out okay for him. There's a loss in the security and joy in God. There's a famous book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer called The Cost of Discipleship. And in it, in it, he lays out the cost of following Jesus, of picking up our cross daily and fo- taking the same road Jesus took. Dallas Willard, he turns that phrase a little bit, and not to contradict Bonhoeffer, but to help us see another aspect. And he, Dallas Willard calls it the cost of non-discipleship. He says there's a cost to not following Jesus. There's a cost to our personal well-being, a loss of joy, a loss of peace. There is a cost of walking in ways which are contrary to our human nature, contrary to the way that God created us to live. And we walk outside of the boundaries of God's good intention. We bump into all sorts of manner of problems. We run into problems in relationship. We run into problems of all sorts. And we run into problems and we, uh, with of our, our most vital relationship, and that's with God. So Dallas Willard calls it the cost of non-discipleship. And in this context, we could talk about the cost of non-confession. And that's what David is talking about. He says, when I kept silent, you know, I was groaning all day long, and my strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Maybe you can relate. One way I, I think is helpful to think about confession is like hygiene. I think of taking out garbage. You know, if you taking out garbage is, is it's a it's a weekly rhythm. You know, the garbage there's garbage day. You take out your trash, you put it in the garbage can, and the garbage day you take it to the curb and it gets picked up. And it's a rhythm that most of us follow. Um, but if you don't follow it, it has consequences. Eventually, your house will begin to stink. Maybe your garbage bins will begin to overflow. And that's what sometimes our, our lives are like. Eventually, the garbage begins to accumulate, and, and, and our lives begin to stink. There's a stench that comes from it. But confession is like taking out the garbage, and the smell goes with the garbage. And there's a cleansing. There's, there's, there's a, a, a relief that comes when we bring these things before. And the Lord 
will take it away, no questions asked. Recently, I've been doing uh, foundation repair on our home. We have a home that is at least 110 years old. And our foundation is made of field stone and has mortar between the joints of of the stone foundation. And over the years, the mortar begins to erode. And over the years, different people and myself um, being part of those 110 years of people taking care of this home, um, I had to put mortar between the joints again. And it's one of those things where you could let it go five years, 10 years, maybe 20 years. But eventually, if you don't fill those joints, the, the blocks begin to collapse and you'll, your home will begin to incur structural damage. You'll see cracks in your ceilings, cracks in your walls. Doors won't close properly. And it, again, it's a little bit like that. We, we need to stay on top of these things. We need to be in the process of repair and healing and making sure that our homes and our lives are in good order. The Apostle James links confession to bodily health. Listen to this scripture. He says, is any among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is any among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church and pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make a sick person well and the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed. Now, there's a lot going in, in this, on this. There's a lot going on in this scripture, and it challenges us. And there's some difficult things we have with it. And there are some things that we need to think about. But consider that there is a healing power that we may be missing out because we don't want to bring the things of our lives before the Lord. For confession, it liberates, it liberates and lightens the heart. It lightens the countenance. Your countenance becomes brighter in the, in the practice of confession. And it's not uncommon for those, for people to experience unexpected bodily therapeutic effects when we practice confession or forgiveness. And this is well documented from people who are involved in healing prayer ministries. Now, again, there's, there's a lot to be said about that, and there's a lot of room for confusion. And we don't want to go start assuming that if someone is sick, they must have done something wrong. It's a terrible theology. But let us consider that there might be something, that the, some grace, healing grace, the Lord may want to bring to us. And maybe the way it will come is by bringing out the trash, bringing out the garbage, bringing things from our life into the light of God so he can bring his grace and healing to bear in our life. And then verse 5. Verse 5, it says, Finally, I confessed my sins to you, and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Notice how much forgiveness is a matter of course. He says, the psalmist says, I said to myself, I will confess, and you forgave. It's just, it's such a matter of fact. You know, it's, it's the nature of God to give out mercy. It's the nature of God to forgive. You know, sometimes we say there's nothing God can't do. Well, that's not exactly true. For God cannot be cruel. 
He cannot be unrighteousness, unrighteous. He cannot be unjust. He cannot be unmerciful. He cannot and will not grudgingly give out mercy and forgiveness. It's a matter of fact. It's a matter of course. When we forgive, when we bring God a, a broken and contrite heart, he will forgive. It's the nature of God to do that. Listen to Psalm, this is from Psalm 51 again. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Or one of my favorite verses comes from 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from wickedness. If we confess, he is faithful. And then there's also the kindness of God. I love this in Romans. He says, do you not know it's the kindness of God that is meant to lead you to repentance? And I can't think of a better story that illustrates that than the story of Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus. Think of Zacchaeus. He is a, is a Jewish person who is in, um, he's in league with this unjust, oppressive Roman system. He's a swindler. He's a thief. He's a con artist. Zacchaeus is not a person we would have wanted to be friends with. And then Jesus sees Zacchaeus on, he encounters him, and he says to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, I want to have a meal with you today. And that's all Jesus did. And Zacchaeus was soundly converted. So I think that's a good story. Sometimes we need those kinds of stories too. Conviction doesn't necessarily have to come from this weighty sense that we've done something wrong. Conviction can be just be a joyful entry and desire for life. Now, before we close, I just want to give two practical uh, words about confession. First, I want to offer some practical advice about the process and I want to take this from actually from a 12, the 12-step 12 program. And then secondly, I want to just offer a practical word about discerning the difference between godly guilt or conviction and unhealthy guilt, which just is, is not helpful and does not take us anywhere constructive. So first, a word about, um, about the process of, of confession. And here, I just love the 12 steps from addiction programs. There's, there's the, the wording uh, is so helpful in many places. And this is such a tried, tested, and true way of re- personal restoration. So I just want to read, a couple, read, read through these quickly. First step, we admit that we are powerless over, and then insert whatever it is, alcohol. We're powerless over our phones. We're powerless over gossip, envy lying, anger, lust, work, gaming, whatever it is that you're, you feel powerless over, name that. We admit that we're powerless over that thing and that our lives have become unmanageable. Then too, we come to believe in a power greater than ourselves. Let's name that power. We come to believe that the power that Jesus is able to restore us to sanity. Three, we make a decision to turn our lives and wills over to the care of God as we understand him. Number four, we make a searching and fearless moral inventory. Now, the word of this is humility. Now, some of us, there's, there's a number of people who hear this who are sensitive of soul, and they're naturally introspective and always trying to find if they've done something wrong. If that's you, you can ignore this. But this is, this is about humility, being honest with ourselves. 
this is not about scrupulosity is the, is the technical word. We don't want to be over scrupulous. We don't want to be unhelpfully introspective. We don't want to be diving in, you know, in, in, in just trying to root up every little slight imperfection. But this is about humility. Number five, we admit to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrong. And this is so important. And I just want to highlight the third part and admitting to another human being. There's something so significant about admitting to another human being. And I've had conversations with people and people have pushed back saying, well, I just need to admit it to God and that's enough. Most of the time, those are the kind of people who do not make any further progress in trying to become a more loving person. There is something that happens when we confess it before another person. And we have to be wise about the people we choose. We don't want to be careless. We want to find safe people. But there's something so powerful about admitting to other people. And maybe some of us have experienced it when we admit something to another person, or maybe someone admits something to us, all of a sudden that releases a grace or a power to say, oh yeah, I'm wrestling with that too. And all of a sudden grace fills the room. And there's life fills the room as people realize they're not alone. And they realize you're not alone. That person's not alone. And all of a sudden, there's a deepening of fellowship that comes as a result. And maybe the most important thing is humility is born. Humility is birthed at those moments. And number six, we are entirely ready to have God remove all the defects of our character. Seven, we humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Number eight, we made a list of all persons we have harmed and we become willing to make amends. We become willing to make it right. And then nine, we actually do that. We make direct amends with people wherever possible, except when to do so would bring more injury to them or others. Number 10, we continue to make a personal inventory. And when we go wrong, we promptly admitted it. So this becomes easier. It becomes easier as we do it. 11, we sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understand and praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And then 12, having that spiritual reawakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to other addicts and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And there's something... There's something about this. As we go through this, we become safe people. And there's a grace we have to bring life to other people. We become carriers of life, carriers of good news, carriers of gospel. And I think there's something to Jesus. I think there is something to Jesus' words where he says, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to help your brother or sister. You know, the exhortation is to first do the work yourself. First bring that thing that's blinding you, bring it into the light, get rid of it, and then you'll be able to go to your brother or sister. And then finally, a word about true guilt and false guilt. In 2 Corinthians, Paul, in 2 Corinthians 7, Paul reflects on some of the things he said in 1 Corinthians. He reflects on some of the harsh words and he reflects on how he was actually sorry for some of the things he said at first, but then he realized those things he said brought about conviction. And so he wasn't sorry, but glad. Listen to these words. He says, I'm not sorry for the severe letter I sent you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful for a little while. 
but now I'm glad I sent it. Not because it hurts you, but because the pain it caused caused you to repent and to change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience, and it leads us away from sin, it leads us away to sin, and leads us to God. Um, it's the kind of God. It's the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience. It leads us away from sin, and sorry, and results in salvation. There's no regret in that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, leads to spiritual death. So just let's contrast that for a second. Worldly sorrow, it doesn't lead to repentance. It leads to condemnation, lingering feeling of guilt, shame, despair, and Paul says spiritual death. But then if we contrast that with what the sorrow that Paul is talking about, we can call it conviction, godly sorrow, whatever word you want to use, but it brings about repentance, a change of ways, awareness of wrongdoing, conviction of sin, confession of sin, interior freedom, interior experience of freedom, and a resolve to change. So it brings a movement toward life, restoration of life, brings us back into the kingdom. It brings us back into the, into the experience of God's love. It brings joy, as the psalmist says. Now, personally, I think this is a really good guideline for us to, work, to, to use as a discernment tool when we're experiencing what we think might be guilt. And even just to, to specifically name a cultural moment and a cultural reality, right now there's been a lot of talk about racial injustice. And some of us are feeling some really deep things with respect to, cult, to racial injustice. Some of us are feeling we're trying to work out our own culpability, our own responsibility in all of it. And it's hard to discern what is of God, what is God saying in all of this. For there, there are some really good voices in all of this, there are some voices which are sound, they're clear. And when they call people to repentance, it's, it's, it's saying it, it's a right call and it comes from God. But some of it is not good. It's shaming. It's guilting. It's abusive. It's ideologically laden. And we, and we're, and we hear all these messages and, and we feel many different things. And it's hard to sort out what is God saying in the process. And I think these words give us a bit of a framework, a bit of a, a place to discern, what is God saying to me? You know, is this bringing conviction? Is this bringing, is this moving me towards the kingdom of God? Is it bringing, is it bringing forth the fruit and life of God? Or is it driving me into the ground? Am I feeling this kind of vague malaise of just grossness that it actually isn't carrying me anywhere. It's actually just making me feel heavier and heavier and heavier and burdening me. And those are good questions to be asking. And we want to pay attention. We, we want to be aware too of, of the emotions we're feeling and be aware of, of how those emotions are directing us. And Because sometimes we, we experience heaviness as conviction, and that may be the case. But we want to pay attention to the movement toward God. That's, I think that's the most important part, is wherever God is involved, regardless of the emotion, it's moving us toward life. It's moving us toward God. It's moving us toward the kingdom of God, the ways of God, in a long-term way that's liberating, not oppressive. It's joy. And sometimes that conviction may come in the form like Zacchaeus, and sometimes it may come in the form of King David when he, when he writes Psalm 51. But we want to be moving toward God. 
We want to be moving toward restoration of life with our neighbors, and we want to move to, to life and restoration in God. And then finally, I just want to invite us to pay attention afresh to the words that we say before communion. We have a liturgy where we, we have a confession, and it's a very, those, those words are so beautiful, so powerful, so succinct. It's, it'd be very difficult to improve on those words. But as you say that liturgy again, take a moment and just to bask, take a moment to just to, to offer the sincere confession. You know, every single week, we are not loving our neighbors ourselves. We are not loving God with our whole heart. But let us make honest that confession, but let us also receive afresh the grace that God has for us. David says, the psalmist says that, I said I will stop trying to hide my guilt. I will confess to the Lord and you forgave. All my guilt is gone. What joy, what joy. Amen. Let me offer a brief word of prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for the liberation that you bring. Thank you for the joy that is before us. Thank you for the liberating power of confession. Lord, give us grace where there is invitation, where you're inviting us and desiring to bring deeper healing. Give us the grace to step into this practice. Lord, give us the grace to overcome our fears associated with confession. Would you bring into our life safe people, Lord, where we need help? Jesus, would you give us discernment to help us to, to parse out what is false guilt, what is not of you, and what is a true conviction? Jesus, bring us into deeper life in your kingdom. Bring us into restoration with our brothers and sisters. Bring us into deeper relationship with you. Amen. Amen and bless you.